Hey there, welcome back to Great Quarter, guys. This is episode 66 for the Enterprise Fleet Summit. I'm your host, Andrew Cox, alongside Seth Holm. As always, this is the show where, uh, where there are no lines between freight and finance. And today we have one of the best uh, finance and freight minds in the game, really. It's Tom Wadowitz. He is a, a senior equity analyst at UBS Securities. He is one of the best on the street. He covers a multitude of, uh, of sub-segments within transportation. So we're going to get his... Uh, his thoughts on the market, some of maybe some of his favorite players, what are some of the trends that he's looking to uh, take advantage of right now. Uh, so, Tom, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the Enterprise Fleet Summit. Yeah, Andrew, Seth, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be with you. So, Tom, uh, recently, I think it was just three or four weeks ago, you, you downgraded the trucking sector to neutral, but seems have things have even gotten hotter since then. So I just wanted to know uh, what were your reasons for why you downgraded the sector and, and are you regretting it at all, given the, uh, the, the, the speed and the volumes and everything else that's come in the last couple of weeks? Well, my preference, of course, is to try to get the stocks right. So, you know, we, uh, we, we uh, did what I call a soft downgrade where we, uh, you know, have a uh, our earnings estimates went up a little bit. We raised our price targets a little bit. But I think the essence of the call was really that we thought valuation would be constrained. And I think investors post the 2018 cycle um, really had the uh, mindset that the, the cyclicality is more entrenched. And so valuation would uh, would remain at, at kind of the low end on what's viewed as uh, uh, cyclical peak earnings. And so I think that uh, it's an interesting mix where you have the truckload names trading at relatively low valuation and the uh, fundamental backdrop is so strong. So, uh, you know, I think that uh, one of the debates is how long the cycle will last and uh, if the, the uh, market's willing to pay a bit more for an extended cycle, then, then that could provide some further lift to the stocks. So it's really around uh, looking at prior cycles, looking at valuation. Uh, you know, we are optimistic that uh, truckload pricing will be strong this year and that the fundamentals in, uh, you know, in 21 will continue to be good for the truckload carriers. So, Tom, you also, I believe, in that note, you took a look at uh, the correlation between a couple of indicators, uh, the market demand index from uh, truckstop.com in relation to new class eight truck orders. Can you uh, touch on that a little bit more and, and, and tell the viewers uh, uh, what you're seeing there? Sure. So we look at a num. We looked at a number of metrics that uh, uh, a lot of times the intuition would be that if you look at earnings and get earnings right, then you get the stocks right. And I think that's true for a, a lot of transports. But for the truckload names, I think the market looks a little bit further forward and looks at some of these uh, forward-looking metrics. Uh, the market demand index uh, in the year-over-year change uh, seems to go show a good relationship with valuation. For the truckload names. And so that's something we've looked at. Uh, I think we tried to look at a number of other metrics to say, uh, what's the relationship in terms of capacity metrics and also uh, that uh, spot market metrics. And so I think that was the case where we're saying, um, you know, if year of year change in the market demand index is at a certain, uh, when that, that tends to peak out, then valuation for the trucking stocks tends to peak out. And then we related MDI to some of the other key metrics. So uh, looking at the, uh, I think, year-over-year change in uh, the BLS data for trucking company employment and also looking at uh, Class A tractor sales. So that's really the framework that, that we used in terms of looking at some of the forward, uh, forward-looking metrics that would really give you uh, insight on what the stocks are going to do 
but that are, are probably ahead of when contract pricing uh, and when earnings are going to peak. Right. That makes sense. And, um, you know, I think uh, one thing that we talk a lot about at FreightWaves and um, there's been a lot of articles in our in our wider media network is um, and I think you touched on it with the BLS employment data, but maybe you can expand on that. So, you know, one debate that's sort of, um, you know, everywhere in trucking right now is that, uh, you know, new class eight truck orders are booming. I think we hit 50,000 a month rate, which is, you know, two and a half times replacement rate and call it a 40 year high uh, there for a couple months. Um, the, the new trucks are coming down the pike. No question about it. Um, uh, although there is a semiconductor shortage, which I think is beginning to impact even that. But, you know, the, the key question, Tom, is can these trucks even be seated? And, you're, you know, you're seeing double digit sort of wage uh, raises at a lot of the sort of larger enterprise fleets. What's your opinion in terms of the actual driver pool uh, uh, moving forward uh, through the rest of 2021 and in uh, 2022? So we we think that the, the market will stay tight and constrained drivers is uh, a key factor on that or the, you know, the key factor in terms of capacity staying tight uh, in 2021. Um, I think that it's, uh, the, the reopening has potential. So, uh, vaccines and reopening of the economy has potential that some labor can get released into the market. So, uh, it seems possible that you could have, uh, so, you know, an, uh, increase in driver count if you look forward kind of a, a ways beyond the vaccine. But even looking back to the, let's say cycles like 2004, five, six, when the housing market was very strong, there there clearly is competition for uh, truck drivers from other areas that that are seeing cyclical strength and, and might strengthen further. So I think that there are also COVID specific uh, impacts on the capacity of driver schools that's been in effect that have been in effect, and so that would also relate to some of the the vaccine rollout and the reopening of the economy that you could have more capacity at the schools. So I think the way I would put it together is not to say I have tremendous visibility on it, but our base case is that the driver market stays pretty constrained, but you begin to see some uh, uh, relief from that as the higher driver pay uh, ultimately will attract more labor into the market. And there's probably some effect from the normalization, if you will, and the, uh, you know, the rollout of the vaccine. So we, you know, we had looked at the base as well from or the bottom in terms of uh, the kind of April-May level. And we actually saw that there was a decent level of uh, increase that seemed somewhat normal in terms of the BLS data and drivers off that low level in May and April. So prior to February, when you had more of a weather impact, we did see uh, what seemed to be uh, you know, maybe a normal level of return of drivers. But there are a lot of factors that could keep the market tight. We think as you go into 2022, you would see capacity come back in. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I read Curtis Garrett from Recon Logistics. He had an interview with uh, with one of our riders where he said the customer acquisition cost to go out and get new customers has never been lower, but the driver acquisition costs have never been higher to try to bring on and seat new drivers. Uh, so with that in mind, uh, you know, a lot of cost adjusting right now for many of the sectors across transportation. And as we as we said at the top of the show, uh, Tom, you cover a bunch of different sectors and subsectors of transportation. So let's dive into a couple of those subsectors. What are you uh, most excited about? What are your favorite uh, subsectors in your coverage area right now? Right. So I think that if we take a, if you don't mind, if I take a step back and say kind of what's the overall view or some of the key things that inform our view on the stocks. And so, you know, we certainly think that there's a lot of strength in freight. 
and that there's a lot of forward visibility to continued strength in freight. And so the industrial economy, um, there's a lot of disruption to the supply chain, a lot of pent up demand. Uh, the retail and consumer economy inventory is still low, so that gives you good forward visibility to freight demand. And so then when we look at that, we think it's good across the different freight areas we cover. Um, in terms of the uh, pricing dynamic, you know, the more cyclical areas like truckload and intermodal would, would be expected to get higher pricing this year. But we think pricing is good for everybody. One point of differentiation across the sectors would be volume growth. And so that's where we're uh, part feeds into being uh, a bit more cautious on truckload. So we think it's just harder for the truckload carriers to add capacity and drive more miles and handle more loads. Where we do see room for volume growth, um, we think that uh, LTL, intermodal rail can see volume growth. So in addition to getting favorable pricing, uh, we think the LTL industry can see strong tonnage growth. We think rail can see improvement and growth as well. Part of that's obviously easy comps. So, so some of the areas we like, uh, less than truckload, uh, rail, and I think those are pretty consensus for, uh, for where the investor base is. Uh, a couple names that we like that are, are maybe more debated would be UPS and FedEx, where I think the debate is around, uh, they were COVID winners. And so you say, okay, do you want to own COVID winners or do you want to own uh, vaccine winners, if you will? And so I think that's an area where we have a positive view and buys on both UPS and FedEx, but there is more debate. That makes sense. We actually were going to ask you that question. Um, when it comes down to uh, to UPS, right, uh, they just sold their LTL division to TFII, uh, TFI International, which you cover. Um, you know, what's your impression of, of Carol Tomei? I think she's been on the job for a year. Some of the she's she sold that division and she's been making some, you know, sort of aggressive moves to improve the returns on capital at UPS. What do you make of her first year at UPS so far? So. We think that there is uh, a you know great opportunity for Carol to have a really favorable impact at UPS, and I think that there's a portion of the investor base that that shares that view that uh, she will have a very positive impact in terms of uh, the you know I think it's a bunch of different dimensions, but it's uh, doing things faster, making decisions faster, reducing bureaucracy, and then just a, a review that you know uh, my assessment of UPS is they're a very efficient company historically and very efficient networks. But just to take a look at some of the underlying assumptions and review those in terms of how many service offerings a day do you need, uh, how, you know, things like that, that you can make changes to your assumptions, which can drive efficiency. So, so we're pretty optimistic about what Carol can do looking forward. I think assessing the first, you know, uh, almost a year is, uh, you know, it's like, uh, positive so far, but, but the, you know, the plans are really coming on June 9th when they do their analyst meeting. So I think we'll have a, you know, a better sense of what, what does it really mean when we get to the analyst meeting on June 9th. Hey, Tom, I'd like to jump back uh, into LTL for a moment, because this is a discussion I've been having with Dennis Anderson, our, my, the sponsor of my newsletter uh, at ArcBest. And we were just talking about LTL's place in the e-commerce world. We have uh, we have a disbursement of endpoints. Not only are, are people willing to purchase much bigger and bulkier items online, we're seeing uh, some of that uh, demand spill over into LTL and LTL kind of flexing its networks to be able to make some home deliveries. Uh, but we're also seeing uh, brick and mortar expansion for the first time in 2021, uh, more store openings than store closures for the first time in a long time uh, as you know, we have a, we have some variables at play there. So just the question is, when you're looking at the LTL landscape, 
um, you know, how, how do you best balance moving forward when we have this industrial recovery uh, on its way where there, there's probably some, some strong LTL volumes on the, on the heavy side in the back half of the year with also trying to take advantage of this e-commerce boom? I, I haven't necessarily thought of it uh, in that lens. Uh, you know, I think I've, I've or tried to break it down into those two components of maybe thought of it more as a uh, combination of the two. So I don't, I don't know if I have a real granular answer for you. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, some of the different companies are going to do better with balancing that and maybe tailoring uh, the way they run their networks to attract more uh, retail consumer freight or even e-commerce related freight. Um, uh, you know, I think in terms of the way we're looking at it, we have a view that the industrial economy is going to be the primary driver for LTL freight activity. And as you have that strength in industrial economy, then you're going to see that growth in tonnage and you'll see growth in, uh, you know, uh, tons per shipment and or pounds per shipment. And so you get not only the growth in shipments, but the, you know, favorable growth in mix. And that uh, there's clearly strong leverage in the operating leverage in the LTL network. So um, I, I don't know that I have a real kind of granular view on on how you necessarily uh, finesse the balance between those two. But in 2021, I think the industrial side is going to be the bigger driver. And that's really more the kind of uh, essence of our favorable view. Um, you know, we have buys on Old Dominion and XPO. And we have a neutral on SIA, but I, I think that, you know, we, we think SIA has a lot of opportunity longer term for margin improvement as well. So it's, you know, it's a constructive uh, view in general on LTL. Great. Um, so we have a few more minutes with you here. I want to, I want to cover the, so there was a blockbuster rail deal, um, probably the biggest in 10 years since, uh, Berkshire Hathaway bought BNSF and then acquired the whole company, uh, with, uh, uh, Canadian Pacific acquired Kansas City Southern. Maybe we could just do a high level. You know, Tom, what do you think of the deal? Uh, do you like it? Does it have good strategic merit? And, uh, you know, what, what do you think of the price tag that CP is paying? Right. So we think that uh, the deal is uh, a pretty interesting, pretty favorable just in terms of the fit. And I think what we've seen historically is that uh, railroads like to extend their reach. And I think there's a reasonable analogy to say CP is doing what uh, CN did uh, in the late 90s when they uh, bought the Illinois Central and then bought the Wisconsin Central and really, uh, you know, drove value by extending their reach and, and uh, providing more opportunity for growth and for efficiency gains as well. So I think CP has been running their network very well. They've, they've had great growth the last couple of years. And so CP has a lot of operating momentum. And what, uh, you know, what I think and what I think generally the response is, this deal makes a lot of sense as an end-to-end -end deal to extend the reach for CP and provide opportunity for growth. Um, we think that the price was a, uh, you know, relatively high price. If you compare it, you mentioned Burlington Northern uh, and Berkshire Hathaway. And I think that deal was done at something like nine or 10 times EBITDA. And this deal looks like more like a price of kind of 18 times. So it's a, it's a full or it's a, it's a, you know, high price, but the strategically, the fit seems to make a lot of sense. So I can, uh, you know, I think those are some of the initial thoughts we've written about revenue synergies as well. Uh, I can get into that if you want, but I would just say that, you know, it's a, we think it's a, a deal that makes a lot of sense. 
Yeah, let's let's get into that. You know, just a high level. Whether you think the synergies that they've laid out, I think it's eight hundred million in revenue, or and then you know translating to seven hundred eighty million in EBITDA after including some cost cuts. You know, how achievable do you think are those? And then I think you also, if I could tack on a second one, uh, is there any other rails that are going to be negatively affected by this deal? The the revenue synergies, um, we, CP has not been precise about. Uh, how much is truck conversion and how much is uh, rail, whether you want to call it share gain or uh, really shifting over some business from inter- interchange partners. But uh, our analysis, we public, published a pretty detailed note on this on uh, Friday last week. And the analysis suggested that you can get, if uh, like I, I believe that CP is, is contemplating something like 25% share gain uh, of business, which goes to uh, interchanges with other railroads. So, so prime example of that would be at Laredo, where Kansas City Southern has about 10% of their total revenue is revenue in Mexico that goes to Laredo and then is handed off uh, the traffic to Union Pacific. And so with CP, you can uh, take that traffic all the way to Chicago uh, with the connection in Kansas City, whereas you can't do that uh, with Kansas City Southern in, in the current form. And so we think that you know, the intention for CP is to get something like 25%, you know, 20 to 30% of the interchange revenue that Union Pacific would be capturing at that gateway. And some grain track with traffic with BN and UP, some uh, uh, crude traffic potentially that may run on CN, that there are uh, interchange opportunities. When we translate that at about 25%, we got to about uh, 520, 530 million in revenue. And we think that's pretty high visibility revenue, that the assumptions are reasonable. Uh, it's, you know, there might be some more rail market share and you might have, um, the, uh, uh, you know, uh, additional, or you would have additional share gain from truck. So we think the revenue synergy target they have of about $800 million overall is quite reasonable. Um, uh, and, and we think that, uh, the disruption to other players while significant uh, for CP and KSU is not large, given that Union Pacific, Burlington Northern, CN have very large, are large companies with large revenue bases. So we estimated, you know, maybe one and a half, two percent revenue at risk for a Union Pacific, as an example, from uh, if that deal moves forward. So, Tom, let's shift gears to the brokerage space just for a moment. Uh, Let's talk about where we are in the cycle. Where do you think we are in the cycle? How long till we have the next inflection point or is the new cycle already underway? So uh, where are we in the cycle for brokerage? Is that, um, yeah, we, so I think of brokerage typically lagging a little bit with uh, just the, you know, asset-based truckload cycle. And, you know, you typically have a period where the financial results are, you're affected by a squeeze when spot rates go up. Uh, you know, I think this uh, this cycle that we've seen has been uh, obviously, effect, you know, driven by COVID with the big swings up and down. And so it's been an unusual cycle. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that if you look at the period in third quarter, spot rates were up week after week after week. And so brokers had a tough quarter and were squeezed. And then fourth quarter rates were more stable. And so you saw better brokerage results. So we think that the outlook for 2020 or excuse me, 2021 is very favorable for truck brokers in general, uh, based on the idea that the market stays tight. So there's demand for spot activity based on the idea that contract rates will go up a lot, based on the idea that uh, strong growth in revenue per load, uh, even if there is some gross margin percent uh, pressure for brokers, 
that that still will drive strong net revenue growth. Uh, and so we're, we're pretty constructive on uh, expected fin- you know, financial performance for brokers in 2021. Any, uh, do you have any preferred names in, the, in, the, in your coverage universe in the broker space, Tom? So the you know you you've got kind of two peer play brokers uh, or maybe not peer play but but primary brokers uh, with CH Robinson and Echo that we cover uh, we we have a buy on CH we have a neutral on Echo I think both you know both should benefit from the conditions I've described I think that uh, the you know so CH Robinson would be preferred as as the buy rated name and I think that Robinson because they have leverage to contract is likely to see uh, that step up that happened and some others benefited from in the fall uh, a little bit later. So we're we're positive on, on Robinson on that pricing up in contract business. You do have uh, a number of other players that brokerage has uh, an effect on overall, even if it's not primary. So, you know, uh, names, you know, so J.B. Schneider, uh, Knight, some others. I think in that group, I would say that, you know, XPO, our positive thesis is, Leverage to LTL, which is a strong market. Leverage to truck brokerage, which is a strong market. And those feed into our, our buy rating and our positive view on XPO. All right. Thank you, Tom. That's, that's great stuff. Great insights. We've got a big year for brokerage ahead, uh, according to Tom Wadowitz. Tom, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. Great. Yeah, Andrew, Seth, thanks for inviting me. Uh, you know, enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, obviously. We'll, we'll have you uh, back again soon. I look forward right. to it. Have, have a great day. You as well, thanks. sir. You too. All right, that's been episode 66 of Great Quarter Guys, the show where the lines between freight and finance are none. We've got a lot in in store for you uh, throughout the day here at the Enterprise Fleet Summit, so don't go anywhere. We'll see you next time.